This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Today on Off Tackle Empire, two weeks to go till the end of the regular season. For the first of two weeks, the East is on the line. The West is on many lines. A lot of cocaine. Today on Off Tackle Empire. Your source for Big Ten Talk, it's Off Tackle Empire. Welcome back to Off Tackle Empire, your source for Big Ten football analysis and Off Tackle Empire tie-ins for all like 500 of you that are still commenting. Man, that might be a, a high number, but boy, I do love our commenting section. It's, uh, it's just it's just tremendous. It reminds me of uh, reminds me of the sports internet from 10 years ago that I'm just never going to have back. Well, the question is. Does the amount of electricity that we have to pay for to run those servers justify the community that has been created there? And if not, how soon can we get rid of that system? That's the important thing. Those questions are being asked. Those questions are being asked. But you know what? It's okay for us to openly question that because I think we were supposed to be getting paid for like a very small amount for this podcast and it hasn't happened in a while. But that's okay Mm -hmm. because fundamentally we're not paying for hosting and that's... uh, it's always been a labor of love. Yeah, that's pretty much. I mean, if we we're if we were in this for the money, um, that would be a very, very bad life decision. So if we were in this for the money, we would have given it up by now. <laughs> for sure. So speaking of would have given it up by now, if I were a Texas <laughs> fan, there were many things I would have given up by now. Texas has lost its fifth in a row. To the Kansas Jayhawks, no less, in <laughs> overtime on a two-point conversion thrown to a guy who had never played offense for Kansas before. Um, I Were you aware before this weekend of the exact history of horrendous Kansas Jayhawk logos? Because <laughs> they were wearing it. I wasn't. I believe, I believe it was the 1941 vintage of the Jayhawk that they had in their helmets. It, it was very similar to the current one, except it was a little angrier. Except yeah, like except like more distressed. Like it, it looks, it looks like it's about to yell at you with like more of a downturned beak. Like Argh! yeah. So, and there are other ones going back where it's like, what in the world am I looking at right now? Nineteen twenty three's just got this really awkward beak, but then this eye with a, it's shaped like it's a like like it's a bit like a like a spectral old man who just like is is sort of has this knowing look at you as his eye kind of smiles at you because he knows that you're about to be in for some shit. Yeah, a couple of them take me back to the episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia where Charlie has the bird with teeth in his dream book and they create it. So it's like it's just like a stuffed crow with a bunch of crudely glued human teeth. Like it was it gave me that vibe. Except, you know, they don't actually draw it with teeth, but like that's the kind of the energy that I got from it. But anyway, 57-56 in overtime first of all. Um and I don't know if it was simultaneous with this or if it was after the fact, but Oklahoma also lost to Baylor 
And both of these games were on the road for the soon to be former big 12 powers. And both of the home crowds chanted SEC, SEC at the teams that are destroying their conference uh, to pursue more money and glory. And that's the kind of thing that makes me truly love college sports, because again, every game Texas loses is another reminder. You're about to go to a way more difficult conference. (laughs) Oh yeah. Kansas, by the way, beat Texas for the second time in five years. Yeah. And I would, you know what? They're now four and 16. Against probably, yeah, the I was gonna say they, there's no way that they have beaten any other team twice in that same stretch or in the last 10 years, I would bet. Yeah, Kansas came into this on an eight-game losing streak after holding off South Dakota by three points. And then uh let's see. That's well, that's their first conference win in I believe two years, but uh boy, they they sure did not. Hey, that means uh, that I believe might mean that Lance Leopold has as many conference wins there as did Les Miles. Let me check that. Entirely possible. But while we're speaking about these other big 12 games. Absolutely. um, Baylor kicked a field goal after the store after the field was stormed. And uh, Lincoln Riley got all mad about him doing that because they were already up two scores and it was very late in the game. But of course, there's a reason for that because the Big 12 does not have divisions. And so to determine who goes to the conference title game, there are various tiebreakers that are in effect. And down the chain of tiebreakers, one of those is point margin. So that three points could wind up being important. Um, Lincoln Riley knows that he was just being a petulant little kid, which is a very it's an amusing look for coaches who already look very young relative to, foot, to football coaches generally. Um, and then elsewhere in the conference, Texas Tech beat Iowa State on a walk-off 62-yard field goal. Yeah. Um, I want to circle back to this Kansas thing because currently Steve Sarkeesian is the only coach to lose a conference game to Kansas in the last 10 years that is still employed. Um, <laughs> okay, because 2016 you had Charlie Strong. Uh, right. yep. And then 2017, no such wins to speak of. 2018, TCU, Gary Patterson, see ya. 2019, Texas Tech, that's uh, Matt Wells. He gone. <laughs> in other words, these are ill tidings for Steve Sarkeesian in year one. Uh, let me also ask you this about Texas Tech. They're four and six. Who's got a more impressive record? Them or Illinois? Hmm. Texas has... A 58-point win against Rice, a win against Louisiana Monroe, and then wins over two Big 12 teams that fired their coaches. They beat Texas Tech and TCU. TCU. Um, I mean, Louisiana is their best win on the year. Illinois got the Penn State scalp. Yeah, but Illinois got the better record. <laughs> I think it's and four and six. Better. Yeah. And hey, and look, John Robinson. Even your law, yeah, one of your law. I think your losses are probably better too. You have UTSA lost, in Virginia and Maryland. Yeah, UTSA, and Wisconsin. Um, yeah, I, I, don't know, I don't think there's, I don't think there's any debate really. Well, expectations playing too much for that to be a fair 
question, but I mean, geez, like even with the setback loss to Arkansas, though, Texas fans had to be feeling pretty good about themselves when they were up 28 to seven against Oklahoma. And ever since that point, it's been a nightmare. (laughs) I just lost five in a row. If they're going to think about the Steve Wilkes treatment for Sarkeesian, I mean, his name is also Steve. Maybe that's just a very fireable after one year name. No offense. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Well, to be fair, I mean, I, I, I did uh, the year I met you. I'd been fired from a job that I had for less than a year. So, well, laid off, whatever. You've got, t- you got some tenure now. Um, anyway, elsewhere in the country, how about Northern Illinois, where Rocky Lombardi and the Cardiac Huskies win their fourth game of the year by two points or less. And they also have wins with seven, a seven-point margin and an eight-point margin. And of their losses, they have one by five and one by seven. So just like you have to watch to the end of, of all of Northern Illinois games. That's to be extremely stressful. And I was going to say again, like a lot of the big 10 schools can and are doing substantially worse at quarterback than Rocky Lombardi. Big part of that is probably difficulty of opposition. I mean, probably helps to have opposing defensive backs who drop some of the sure thing interceptions that you lob up there. But yeah, there's probably what a solid four or five, schools in the conference that could consider giving him a call. He's got eligibility left after this year. Oh, wow. I'm looking at them. Um, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself looking at games, but there's a, there's a conference game that, this weekend in a major conference with tickets as low as $3. It's like those old Illinois Purdue games that we used to have. It's Kansas at TCU. I didn't even think that was possible. I thought that the, whatever vendor it is that ESPN links you up to, had a floor of like $8 a ticket or something. Yeah, that's strange that you see that. So anyway, let's get to uh, the ACC continues to just be the Big 12. Yeah, uh, so Wake Forest, I, I for whatever reason, I thought of NC State's defense is pretty good. And look, they probably are, but this unstoppable death machine of the Demon Deacon offense paired with a terrible defense just will not stop being a thrill ride they escaped 45 42 against the wolf pack um i believe they can clinch the conference division is the one that wake forest plays in if memory serves uh, i don't please don't correct me i don't give a shit um elsewhere speaking of acc and acc adjacent teams notre dame continues to just kind of linger in the top 10 like a bad fart that won't quite dissipate out of an elevator but the fact that they haven't moved up kind of tells you that as long as cincinnati is undefeated notre dame is not getting in the playoff so like the bearcats probably are not going to get in either but at least you know that notre dame isn't going to jump an undefeated p5 team that beat them head to head so that's kind of justice right Slightly, but speaking of that playoff thing, Stanford is doing its good goddamnedest to injure Oregon's strength of schedule. They're committed to the bit. They're now three and seven after getting housed by Oregon State. And they just got to be wondering, what do we have to do to get these assholes out of the college football playoff? I mean, we're, we, we, we're running out of games to lose. Well, honestly, the answer is there's nothing they can do as long as Oregon doesn't actually lose again because they're they're not going to completely eliminate an entire conference while they can still pitch college football playoff ratings show or uh, ranking shows to the West coast. So they're going to leave Oregon in there as long as they possibly can. Now if they lose a game, that's, that's over. They're done. They're out. 
but as long as that's the only loss they have, it's obvious it's going to be forgiven because it helps that Ohio State has kind of reestablished themselves as their typical self, and that win has aged very well, even as the even as they continue to just put up one narrow escape after another, and the loss they have is by far the worst team I can recall a playoff team losing to. By the way, Oregon State's bull eligible. Yeah, they're not bad. They've gotten a little better under Jonathan Smith. So <laughs> Seems like the kind of name that should be at BYU. Anyway, coaching carousel for our last thing. Down goes Jimmy Lake. Yeah, very understandable. Washington's been in a pretty sharp decline since he took over there. Um I, I haven't checked their recruiting rankings, but I cannot imagine they're maintaining that level the way they did when Peterson was there. Uh, There's also an also, awful lot of stuff about him, you know, apparently hitting a kid that on the sideline. Um, yeah, although you did you did tell me that they're firing him without cause, basically paying him his buyout. So I have to assume that because I think Chris Peterson is still involved with that athletic department in some capacity. I don't I don't think he is the athletic director. But I believe he retains some kind of role at the university. They, I would assume, are trying to maintain that relationship, maybe make the keep the job more marketable to their next hire. But yeah, he is out. Just I hear something bizarre is that reportedly, like Justin Wilcox is a big candidate to be their guy. What exactly has he done at Cal that he got to the 2019 Red Box Bowl, baby? And 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 if you can believe this. He shredded a Lovey Smith defense like it was uh, one of those soft cheeses. You know, if the year was 1997, that would be an astounding accomplishment. Absolutely. And also, Butch Davis is sick of FIU half-assing a football program. <laughs> yeah. So he went, I forget the exact, I forget the website. Um, one of our our colleague, Creighton McElhenney, posted this for us that he was doing an interview with some gambling website. I don't remember what it was um, complaining about basically how the athletic department was sabotaging the football program with just an extreme lack of investment. And the example that he gave was that they had 10 year old pads that they were using. And so to try to upgrade those, they're asking around it. Somebody on the staff knew somebody at Mississippi state, who was replacing their practice pads, which were five years old. And that was what FIU ended up doing, but they just took hand-me-down pads from an SEC, from an also ran in the SEC. Uh, I just like, that's incredible. Like we're not, we're not talking about some underprivileged pop Warner program here. This is an FBS team at a school with, I believe a massive enrollment. Doesn't FIU, isn't FIU one of those gigantic Florida schools? Like I know they're not as big as UCF, but I'm fairly sure. They're fairly large. And they're in the AAC. That's a fairly big conference. And I thought FIU was Sunbelt. No, I'm pretty sure that they're American. I could be wrong. Or no, they. I could be wrong. They might be moving to the American, but I think right now they might be the American USA, Florida actually. schools are Central and South, right? Yeah, I think you're right about that. I think it's... Well, either, I mean, look, either way, you're still enough. This is going to drive me nuts. I'm almost positive that it's... Uh, um. Yeah, it's C. There's CUSA. There we go. There's CUSA. Ah, so we're both wrong. Perfect. <laughs> All right. Enough of that. Let's get to the this week's slate in the Big Ten. Um, new slate: Michigan State, Ohio State. Let's get this over with. Um, I was 
profoundly bummed that Penn State gave away a game against Michigan last week because now even if MSU bounces back and beats Penn State in the last week of the season and both Michigan schools lose to Ohio State, Michigan's going to the Rose Bowl, um, not us. I can shriek about the head-to-head as much as I want, but the bowl berth is not about who's better. That hasn't been true for decades. If both schools are 10-2, and two, which is the most likely outcome right now, Michigan goes to the Rose Bowl. Maybe Michigan State squeaks into one of the other New Year's Six games, or maybe we have to sell for the Citrus. Although, honestly, there's a decent chance that they would give that to the, to the West Division champion who loses to Ohio State. It's a bummer, but Michigan going to their first Rose Bowl since the second Bush administration would probably get 12 million television viewers, and that's going to be what decides the game. Um, Oh, so you want to talk about details here. All right. Well, the Vegas line is Ohio State minus 19. I can't argue with it. CJ Stroud's going up against the actual worst pass defense at FBS level. He's going to throw for a zillion yards. Um, If he doesn't set any single school records, I would strike him from the Heisman list, but that's just me. He is an absolute JMC must play this week. And really the only thing that stops me from playing one or two Ohio State receivers is there's no telling who's going to catch the touchdowns. Um, Made even more complex because Michigan State is especially powerless at defending tight ends. So Jeremy Ruckert is probably going to have a career day here as well. I do think Michigan State will score some points. This could end up looking something like the Purdue scoreline last year or last week, last year. Uh, It was a long weekend, as you can tell. What I'm again, what I'm really looking for out of this game is keep the score respectable enough that a New Year's Six Bowl is still in play. You know, a, a Peach Bowl or a Fiesta Bowl is not a terrible consolation prize if you get left out of the rows. And also get enough, you know, counting stats for Kenneth Walker that he can at least get um, an invitation for the Heisman ceremony in New York. He's not going to win, but it would be huge for him in the program. And he could still win the Dope Walker if he has a big enough game here. So, Anyway, that's about what I hope for from this game. Um, Ohio State's going to be able to name their score on offense. This is going to be one of – this is like the Purdue game, going to be an opponent that we cannot keep out of the end zone. They're going to move the ball easily. I guess the one thing that could be an issue is I haven't seen – you know, Ohio State does still hit plenty of big plays, and if Michigan State's able to prevent those, maybe you see C.J. Stroud struggle to chain together some drives. It's not like he has to do that all that often. All that means is maybe MSU ends up covering the score or you're looking at a backdoor cover situation, but I'm still thinking somewhere between 14 and 24 point margin for Ohio state. Ohio state is also able to make big plays without necessarily drawing up big plays. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's, it helps when you have a minimum of four guys on the field at any time who can house it from anywhere on the field just by making a guy or two miss. Cause then they're faster than everybody else on the field. Uh, like, like you said, I mean, last week, Purdue's linebacker has Henderson squared up, has a play diagnosed pre-snap. Henderson still blows through the hole before he can get there and leaves him in the dust. So <laughs> what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Well, the answer is get better players and hopefully Mel Tucker is able to do that. So, Well, that's about all there is for that one. I can't disagree with absolutely any of the points that you go there that you bring up there and you know, I'm, I'm very, uh, very black pilled on Ohio State. Yeah, well, I mean, for the first time in a long time, we could end up having an interesting matchup into the game, but we will get to Michigan in a little bit before we do. Also, in the noon slate, Purdue at Northwestern. 
you know, from a conference perspective, I think it would be really good to see a team like Purdue get to Indianapolis, um, Wisconsin going and losing to Ohio State, alternating with Northwestern is getting kind of boring. And I also like it and think it's funny that another team would get to go before Michigan does. Um, on the field, Purdue really shouldn't have a problem. Carl Aftis could make himself a lot of NFL draft money playing against this offensive line for Northwestern. Again, really disappointing play from that group this year. Purdue was minus 12 in this game on the road. I mean, in so far as Evanston is the road, I'd probably take the points there, but I don't love it because, I, you know, how do you deal if you're Purdue with coming off of big win against Michigan State two weeks ago, taking a, your best shot against Ohio State, but falling well short? You're a very long shot to win the division. You've got your hated blood rival, Indiana, next week that you're probably looking your chops to get to that game because you're probably going to beat them easily. Um, is there perhaps a motivation problem here, trouble getting up you know, four weeks in a row like that? That could be, but I think all that means is that maybe Northwestern covers that line. Well, the other thing is Northwestern has a sneaky, decent secondary. They're functional against the pass. It's just that hasn't mattered. Yeah, and it's true. Like, it's a lot like Chris Ash Rutgers. True, and and I guess we'll see if Purdue is content to try and exploit a very vulnerable run defense, or if they want to stick to who they are at this stage and continue throwing the ball against what, as as you say, is the strength of the entire Northwestern team. That's I gotta feel like having Horvath back really emboldens them to try and just run the ball and just you know play more to their opponent's weakness than their own strength. Um, but it's a possibility. They've also, they basically, since they got him and Doru both healthy, they've started mixing in Jackson Anthrop in there as well, giving him the ball on runs more often, you know, three, five, seven times a game, just to give it a little bit of a varied look. Cause neither of those other two guys do much outside the tackles. And I think that's added a little bit of an extra dimension. It hasn't really resulted in more uh, substantial additional production, but I think it's a little bit tougher to defend. And that's obviously a nice mid-season wrinkle that they've added. So, yeah, I, I think I could see something along those lines developing a more complete run schedule, or a more complete run scheme there. So, yeah, that's the problem is if they can't get that running game going and Northwestern is able to, you know, get a turnover and, you know, just really stupid Northwestern-y things happen, Purdue could find themselves in a bit of trouble here. But – one win against either this Northwestern or this Indiana, one of those two will give Jeff Brom the most wins he's had in a regular season at Purdue. Yeah. And that that would be seven maybe says that honestly, they haven't had the breakthrough yet. I think if you're, if you're Purdue, there's really no reason that you can't get to eight and four, like that should be. And that would be a big deal. That would be a big deal. Yeah. And anything other than that is really disappointing. It, It would be a big deal because as we commented on earlier in the season, the recruiting results in this class are not there right now. And they've got this first wave of talent that Brom brought in. You can expect to lose David Bell and George Karloftis to draft next year. You've got a lot of other guys who are going to be able to consider that. Um, I mean, shoot, are you really telling me like, how many quarterbacks do you think there are in the country that would be better pro prospects than Aiden O'Connell? I mean, I know he's not very mobile, the way that you want a modern NFL prospect to be, but he's a hell of a lot better passer than most of the guys who are probably going to go ahead of him. You know, do you know when the last time was that Purdue won eight games in a regular season? I mean, it had to be in that 
in the best stretch of tour. It was 2006, but they needed 13 regular season games because they had one at Hawaii to get there. <laughs> okay. They, of course, lost that one at Hawaii, so I guess they didn't really need 13 games, but still. <laughs> uh, yeah, 2007, which was the last really good Tiller season, they were 8-5 and five after defeating Central Michigan in the Motor City Bowl. <laughs> yeah, was and ever ball. since then, it's been a minimum of six losses every single year. Yeah, so I don't know if you would necessarily call eight and four a breakthrough season. And again, it'll kind of depend on what they can do to replace these stars who are probably going to be going. Um, but if eight and four comes to be a little bit of a, a sort of a mini breakthrough, and then you have a rebuilding year next year, that's not the worst trajectory to be on. Uh, maybe a little bit short of what we would have expected from Brown those first couple of years, but they still got the pen shot for throwing the punch against the big opponents and. It looks like a little bit more durable of a program now than we knew it to be going into this year. Yeah, that's, I actually didn't, I I didn't realize that, I guess because Purdue has been to a a couple more bowls and they did have, of course, you know, bottoming out with Hazel, but uh, that they also had lost at least six games every single year since 2007. That that would be, uh, it's just when you've got, when you're not aiming for conference titles and you're not reeling off big streaks against, you know, ranked opponents and whatnot, you're looking to break marks of futility, right? Yeah. Well, I mean like a Florida bowl game, a new year's day bowl game would be a big deal, even if it's just the Outback bowl, right? Like even when Purdue has had relatively good seasons of the, of these last 15 years or so. Okay. Congratulations. You get to go to Nashville or you get to go to Detroit. If you're an Indiana based fan base, that's not really much of a trip, you know? Um, so yeah, I have to expect if they were able to get to the outback, for example, they'd probably be a logical choice, even over an Iowa team, excuse me, with, uh, with one more win because they have, they haven't been in forever to a game of that caliber. So, uh, all right, we'll keep moving along here. Rutgers at Penn state, the last game in the noon slate, you know, last year we looked for signs that Penn state would kind of lose interest and fall apart as their big goals became unreachable. To their credit, that didn't really happen, and they went from 0-5 to 5-5. and And so in a, in a continuing theme of the games we've previewed so far this week, there's a massive Vegas line here, but I don't think Penn State's offense is good enough to run up uh, a 17-point line on a Rutgers defense that you think is probably looking past first, second, and third. Um, and because of what we saw last year, I wouldn't necessarily think Penn State's going to be looking ahead or trying to sim the rest of the year, you know, thinking about knocking off a Michigan state team that could still be a nationally prominent team. Like, what does that really get you? Honestly, that's like, it's the, again, the difference between an outback sort of game and a citrus sort of game. They're out of the picture for the conference out of the picture for new year's six. I think at this point, you probably just get back to taking it one game at a time. If you're a Penn state, the guys who are draft eligible, are looking to put their best tape out there. The guys who are not are looking to cement their roles for next year. Um, so I, what I guess I'm saying is all those things being in mind, I nonetheless like Rutgers getting the points here because they've played Penn state close a couple times, despite having a pretty broad talent gap there. They played Michigan close uh, that time as well. You've seen a couple of situations where, you know, their linemen will go have gone out on the road this year and just played really tough. Uh, Greg Schiano is a guy that's been willing to scheme for you know for his matchups as opposed to more of a, a 
you know, Franklin tends to like guys who just believe in running what they want to run. And eventually you do, you keep doing the thing you're good at and eventually you'll succeed. Chiano has been very much the opposite in that. All right, well, this is what this opponent does, you know, very uh, tailored, you know, sort of, sort of tailored uh, game plans. And the thing about Rutgers offense is it's shitty, but it's just barely functional enough at both running and passing that they could potentially do either one of those. Yeah, um, it's it's not like there are offenses where if if they do anything other than the most basic run plays, it's going to be a disaster. But to their credit, as you said, you know, despite some limited personnel, Rutgers is at least not that. Um, there's absolutely have, a blueprint to neutralize this Penn State offense. Is yeah, well, the you just there, get the pressure on Sean Clifford. Yeah, it's to it's to just it's just throw a bag of hammers. Um at Clifford and with as bad as their pass protection has been this year, you can do that. And there's, it's going to be a, a continuing question for the rest of the year, which is how healthy is Clifford in this particular game? He's clearly going to continue playing until and unless he sustains a more serious injury, but he can't be comfortable. Uh, and every additional shot that he takes, you think is going to end up shaking him a little bit towards the end of that game. So yeah, the plan if you're Rutgers, I think is blitz aggressively, get lots of shots. And even if you don't get home, make sure you hit him. Within the confines of the rules, of course, you don't want to be drawing late hit flags and throwing three yards to the offense. Um, I'm not sure if I'm going to call this one, but I did draw everybody's attention to Kansas, Texas last week. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Okay, I mean, if you're getting a similar vibe, you go ahead and do that. I have another upset that I'm picking here, and that's actually our next game, earliest in the afternoon slate, Illinois at Iowa. No, don't do that. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, that being said, Brett Bielema is 14-2 and two in his career coming off a of bye week, and uh, I recall go for three saying congratulations to Jim Harbaugh for improving his ranked uh, road record to three and nine. And I'm thinking, of course, what I always think there, which is like, yeah, but it's it's hard to beat ranked teams on the road. I don't think a lot of people have particularly good records. Do you know what Brett Bielema's record at Illinois against ranked teams on the road is? It's 2-0. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the, the numbers are there. Uh, we mentioned in the recap piece that Iowa's already 8-2, and two, and we know from long experience there's not a whole lot of space left before they hit their ceiling. That means there might not be any left. So Illinois is not going to get dramatically out special teamed by anybody, um, which is what happened to Minnesota. They got badly out special teams. Uh, Illinois has had a very solid special teams unit and the Illini defense has been so good that they had to give Ryan Walters a big ass raise and extension uh, last week. The defensive coordinator, he is uh, named as a semifinalist for the Broyles award, which uh, my, my goodness, creating the best defense I've seen in, in many years out of the guys that were on last year's team, basically, uh, certainly deserves some credit. But Illinois remains pretty one-dimensional, and that the offense is going to 
the offense is going to be a very limiting factor here because if it, it, it's basically going to look a lot like the Minnesota game. If I mean, I think the, the single biggest question here is going to be, does Brandon Peters throw interceptions or not? If he has, because I think we've come to, we've come to know what a Brandon Peters stat line is, right? It's typically something like eight for 19, 79 yards. The question is, is it one touchdown, zero interceptions or zero touchdowns, two interceptions? If it's the first one, Illinois has a much better chance of winning. If it's the second one, you don't have a prayer. Uh, you do not have enough of a margin on offense to be able to give your opponent extra possessions. Uh, that being said, I would feel pretty good about your ability to limit what I was going to be doing. Um, let me see. Hold on. Let's see if I can find the lines on this really quick. Do you recall seeing a total on this game? Because I would bet it's probably something like 38. Uh, I believe it was exactly 38. Damn, I'm good. Oh yeah, it's right there in the it's right there in the uh, off tackle on fire fix sheet. Yes, yep, yep. Sure. <laughs> Man, I'm good. Um, yeah. Man, so. so before Sports Reference bogged me down with an ad, I was going to actually say something about Brandon Peters' stat line. So here were his last several, his last two games, uh, seven for nine. 80 yards and a touchdown, uh, 14 for 19, 190 yards, two touchdowns. He has thrown one pick this year, but only four touchdowns. So last week or two weeks ago, of course, there was some good scripted stuff on offense early, but well, the last time Brett Bielema had each time this year, that Brett Bielema has had more than one week to prepare Illinois for a game. Uh, they've come out with something that the opponent was not expecting. Now, in Scott Frost's case, it was something he really should have been expecting. What's an even front? Yeah. Uh, I still, man. But man, I'm, I'm curious to see what we do. I mean, because, it, you know, everybody's very happy with the way that the defense has gone. Um, but the offense is going to need to score points against a, a defense that's uh, better than everyone that we faced except uh, Wisconsin, uh, against whom we didn't get inside the 20. <laughs> and that is a real problem. So, yeah, I the, mean, the, the conditions thing... are there, but the question is, how the hell are we going to score points? Um, and can Illinois actually shut down Iowa? Yeah, well, to be honest, I feel okay about your ability to, to control them offensively. Keep in mind, they managed to get to 27 points last week on fewer than 300 total yards, I think. So as long as you avoid the big play, which again, you know, certainly what we think of when we think of Iowa offense is reliance on the big play. <laughs> oh um, yeah. <laughs> then I think you're going to be in decent shape. And I, I just wonder, would you rather your emotional state be spared the week of agony that a five win Illinois team going into the wall hat game would bring you? Or do you want to keep the chance of a bowl game alive, knowing that it's going to mean that week of anxiety um, by just getting by getting this win right now? It, it I, would I'm, it would equal the most Big Ten wins uh, that Lovey Smith ever had in a season um, at four, okay. and it would be is Iowa ranked? Yes, they are. Oh yeah. yeah, it would be. I believe I did some research. The first time that Illinois football had ever defeated 
three ranked teams on the road in a season. Hmm. The last time they defeated multiple ranked teams on the road in a season was 2001 when they won the Big Ten. Well, I'm going to lock in my pick for Illinois then. Sorry to do it to you, bud. Uh, moving on in the afternoon slate, Michigan at Maryland. Uh, the schedule lines up nicely here for the Wolverines, and this really shouldn't be much more than a tune-up game. Uh, although, you know, we might have said similar things about them for Rutgers as well, and they ended up playing that game much closer than they should have. I would assume they're going to hold Blake Corum out of this game to get him as healthy as they can for the Buckeyes. They had they give a big workload to Hassan Haskins last week, and he did just fine against a much better defense. And they can give a longer look to Donovan Edwards, too, the freshman who missed a couple games with injury but came back last week. So they should be okay without Corum. Let him rest up. I don't think this will be as bad as the Ohio State game for Maryland, but it just does not go well for Mike Loxley coach teams when they go up against opponents that have similar or greater talent. And that's the case here. I, you know, that was Ohio State. That was Michigan State. They, they've gotten blown out a few times by teams of comparable or better talent. And that's, again, consistent with what we have known to be their program building philosophy. Thing is, Michigan State, I don't want to say that they quite uh, min-max on anything, but uh, there was a path to victory for Maryland over Michigan State. Uh, I don't really see one over Michigan. No, because Michigan is much more, they don't have quite the explosiveness that Michigan State does, but they're much better at sustaining drives. Running they're much, they're much more fundamentally sound, basically, on both yeah. sides of the ball. Yeah, I think that's probably fair to say. Um, although really, again, I it's I know this is kind of picking nits, but I still I don't think that Michigan State's really unsound fundamentally on defense. I think it's that they're choosing to do something that leads to huge passing lines because they're afraid of what would happen if they tried to play a more aggressive coverage. And that I think they were I think they just believe they would get toasted all day. Um and they'd rather do it eight yards at a time. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. I agree with the basic thrust of your point, which is that it's if you were to if if you were to fast forward to Saturday evening and tell me that Maryland had won, I would want you to describe me like like point out the salient things from that box score. Like how did Maryland do it? And short of just, I mean, Michigan is still a little bit susceptible through the air. That's true, but it would also require sharper execution from Maryland and converting drives into points and avoiding turnovers than we've seen them capable of against good teams this year. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. It, it, Michigan would have to lose this game and Michigan would have to like, they'd have to really, really, really step in it pretty badly in my opinion. And they've shown they, they really haven't done that this year with the possible exception of Michigan state where they did turn the ball over a couple times where they did have some missed execution down the stretch and high pressure moments. This doesn't feel like it's likely to be that same kind of thing. Yeah. Because, because Maryland would have to score touchdowns. Right. And, and Michigan and, state's just much better at doing that. Yeah. Okay. So carrying on here also in the afternoon slate, oh, by the way, there is only a noon and an afternoon slate here because uh, with it being harvest season and the sun going down early, we here in Big Ten country do not play our football games late in the evening, have to get to bed early for the early bird special in the morning. So Nebraska at Wisconsin is also a 3.30 kick. 
I don't know why this game is on ABC, but it is. I assume there's kind of a thin slate around the country. Interesting thing, I guess, will be is now that Scott Frost has his status has sort of been cleared up, he's got the extension. Uh, it, is there subconsciously maybe a little bit less of a fight there? Like, what is the mindset of a Nebraska team that is three and seven, but they know the coach is coming back, but they've, you know, fired a bunch of guys on the offensive side of the ball? They already had some consistency and execution problems on that side of the ball anyway, but it's late in the season to be changing approaches there. I just want, like, how do they go about scoring points on Wisconsin, even if they have their staff intact? And now that they have shaken things up on that side of the ball, like how do they look there? I mean, I'll tell you what happens. You know what happens. They oh, yeah, punch with yeah. them all day. They really, the defense really comes on in the second half. And then they have a chance late in the game to go down and win the game. And they fuck it up horribly. And they lose by between three and nine points. Yeah. Which means that that Wisconsin minus 10 line, you should take the points all day. Um and from the Badger side, all you have to do is win this game. You're, you're not a playoff contender here. You're not concerned about style points. Just get to the win. And then you are, I believe, a win locks them up for Indianapolis, regardless of next week's result, does it not? Because of all yeah. the head-to-head advantages. So, yeah, I, this is probably like Nebraska's defense remains very talented. They haven't made any changes on that side of the ball. And you can assume that they're going to be a little bit – I mean, if Wisconsin's able to run the ball on Nebraska – that kind of changes their outlook for possibly giving Ohio state a shot in the title game. I'm not saying that Wisconsin's going to win, but if they can move the ball against a, even a good defense like Nebraska's, it gives them a little more optimism that they might be able to shorten the game and stretch a couple long possessions, you know, and, and then from there, who knows, maybe they're going to turn over or two. Cause it's always been, it's always been a question of the offense, even in those three losses, even allowing 41 to Notre Dame, that was about the offense. That was about the offense leaving the defense on the field for all, for the whole game. That's about and, the offense throwing pick sixes, yeah. So Yeah. <laughs> that All those games, they were entirely about the offense. That's always been the question with Wisconsin. And it's getting better, but also you don't have that caliber of, of talent that you have, even if you have defenses that are on paper better. The kind of talent that they're going to see with Ohio State is uh is going to be different and of course uh wisconsin hasn't faced an offense anything anywhere even remotely close to what ohio state has no no not at all um so anyway those are all big picture situations hey look i guess it sounds like we kind of agree about what this game should look like though which is probably a little bit lower scoring than you would guess probably a little bit too large of a line for Wisconsin to cover given how tight Nebraska's played people. We'll see if the Huskers mindset changes at all after a bye week and you know, all this stuff with frost and now I'm coming back. So we'll see. I'll, I'll tell you what, I mean, as far as ways to flail around, you know, if you're the offensive guy, if you're a head coach, who's made your business as an, you know, who's made your name as an offensive play calling dude, and you're running the offense, and the way that you flail around is to fire all your offensive assistants. You oh sure boy. as hell better pick up the card yourself and call a hell of a game. Yeah. I mean, doesn't mean, I mean, you don't necessarily have to win, but show me that you can with, again, an offense that you've put together. They're all your players. You went out and got big time transfers, great skill players. Line is still a problem. I get that. But this is your quarterback. He's been there for four years now. Pick up the sheet yourself. 
call 400 yards worth of offense. And if you don't convert and turn it, it into points. points. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, that really is more up to execution, but at least put your guys in position to win the game for you. Prove that you still got it, you know? Um, all right. So that gets us to the last game of the week. Uh, the only game in the conference that has a line of one score or less, that'd be Minnesota minus seven at Indiana. I presume the line only is as small as it is because the gopher offense is limited generally. And now we're hearing again that Bucko Irving might be out, which means they're down to one scholarship running back. I don't think Indiana gave up per se last week, but at two and eight overall with Purdue coming up next week, and maybe there's a little bit of a subconscious tendency to mail this one in a bit. I, I think the Gophers are going to roll on this one. I just don't see any way how it uh, doesn't work that way. I mean, I don't <laughs> know what would get into Indiana that would cause them to uh, approach the Minnesota game differently than the Rutgers game. Uh, Minnesota's got more of a rushing attack than does you know, the Gers. Yeah, about all I can see is that from Minnesota's perspective, this game is sandwiched between Iowa and Wisconsin. Um, you have a big disappointment. I mean, look, I know I, I kind of poked a little bit at Maryland's guys say, feeling like they should have won the Michigan State game that they lost by three scores. Um, but really, Minnesota's players could very well still be thinking to themselves, man, we really should have beat Iowa. Now we've got to get ready to play Wisconsin next week. Oh, here's a two and eight. Oh, wait, what? It's the third quarter and it's 10, seven or something, you know? Well, not to mention, I mean, it's their last two games that are like that because how much you think, especially on, especially the players on the offense are still throughout that entire Iowa game, occasionally thought about (laughs) not scoring on Illinois for 55 minutes when God damn it. Son of a bitch. (laughs) Yeah. Entirely possible. And so, Maybe you see, I got, when I say maybe you see a distracted heel, it's not like you're going to, it's not like you're going to be running a pass play and a receiver just breaks off the route early and kind of stares off into space and the ball sails past. Like you don't actually see that kind of thing. It's just like in terms of focus, you know, maybe it turns out in the way pre-snap penalties or, or miscommunication or something like that. So um, yeah, I think it's entirely possible. There's who ends up motivated for this game more? I guess it's a fair question. At I think this it's point. vastly more likely that Minnesota comes out ready to play than does Indiana. Yeah, and I guess we'll see. And it, like I said, it, it's not that there's nothing left to play for for Indiana. You have to figure this thing out going forward because next season is coming up much sooner for you than it is for a lot of other teams. But right, I the, the simplest thing, the simplest way to look at this is just that Minnesota is a much better team than Indiana right now. Oh boy! Now what I'm looking at here is in the off tag line. More people are filling in their picks for for our Friday article, and now I'm seeing three people picking Illinois straight up. Hell no! I'm changing my shit back. Iowa covers, <laughs> making me nervous. Man, so elsewhere, elsewhere in the country. So I suppose this is as good a time as any to reveal our plans to the listenership. Why don't you go ahead and give me your take about Western Michigan at Eastern Michigan? Yes. (laughs) Yes. So it turns out Western Michigan is one of the better offenses in the Mac and Eastern Michigan is uh, not one of the better defenses. So this has the makings of a shootout. Ohio came alive and, uh, and 
you know, really he, like lit him up a bit last week for a bunch of yards. This, of course, after a week after they beat Toledo 52-49. So this midweek matchin does seem to really catch defenses a bit unprepared. And also, we're going to be there. Um, this is Rhino at the factory. Stadium, the factory, that's right. The miserable gray field decked out in our sickos apparel. And uh, yeah, going to be a nice, a nice Tuesday evening, uh, seven o'clock kickoff, I believe. Oh boy, we're going to get there early enough to drive by the big brick dick. Well, I, I think you can see it from the road. I don't know that we necessarily need to build in a whole lot more time for that. Um, man, I'm going to be dragging ass on Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that's that. It's certainly more interesting than anything happening in the SEC this week, where it is chicken shit week. Uh, everyone playing a patsy so they can preserve their rankings, um, hoping that teams from other conferences playing actual opponents will lose and fall. Oh, behind oh you mean like how Florida played Sanford last week? Yeah, they trailed 42 to 35 at the half in that one. And did they fire anybody yet? They didn't. (laughs) They didn't. So during that, we were actually watching that one um, in the pregame for your your wedding. And as as Samford just continued to score touchdown after touchdown, I proposed based on the way that the game was going, that we might be in a race. Will Andrew remain a bachelor longer than Dan Mullen remains the coach at Florida State? And it looks like it looks like Dan Mullen won. He did, yeah. Um, he did. Although I will say, I, I think we just dropped our our um, wedding certificate in the mail to the relevant county authority today. So, from, ah. in one sense, maybe it's not a maybe that answer hasn't is not yet determined. Um, elsewhere in the country, uh, a, another potential sickos candidate: one and nine Southern Miss at three and seven Louisiana Tech. And the reason this game caught my attention would be because of the identity of Southern Miss's leading rusher. That would be Frank Gore Jr. I don't know if I've mentioned this, but apparently uh, Darren Williams is going to do some celebrity boxing. You did. What made you think against of that? Frank oh, Gore? Against Frank Gore. That's right. <laughs> That's a bad decision. I, I can think of few people I would I like. I'm not going to fight very many professional athletes. But just I can think, think a few that I want to fight less than Frank Gore. Just think how many times in his career Frank Gore was hammered by a linebacker and couldn't hit him back. Did you want to be the guy that he unloads all that frustration on? I, I think not. I think Darren Williams is wheeled out of there on a stretcher. I'm sorry to say it, man. Very poor decision. I don't know what he's thinking. Elsewhere, we have quite possibly the least sizzly USC-UCLA game of all time. It's still going to look really good because of that uniform contrast. But, man, I don't know if Power 5 football in the state of California has ever been a worse shape between where those two programs are. Cal Stanford, my goodness. Um, No real question in my mind. San Diego State's the best football program in California right now. And you can make a solid argument for Fresno State as number two. there's There's a reason why the PAC 12 is so down as a whole. It's because the teams that have the most direct access to all the best talent in that whole conference's footprint all suck right now. So what you're saying is that, that really the keys to Cal, you know, the, the California runs through the uh, De Boer war between Kalen De Boer and Brady Hook. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm going to, you know what, I'm going to just move right past that. Cause I, yeah, there's enough, 
there's there's some real troublesome history. So I'm I'm just gonna slide right past it. Uh, I appreciate the the alley oop there, but it was just a little bit too high for me to get. So I'm just gonna let it go out of bounds instead of uh, hurting myself trying to get it. Elsewhere, we have Texas at West Virginia in a bowl eligibility elimination death match. And if you have one eye free, I would suggest keeping it on all remaining Texas and Oklahoma games for the bitter parting shots they're going to get from their soon-to-be former conference mates. Um, Anytime there's an opportunity to do so, I would assume other teams are going to rub it in. Uh, Let's see. Elsewhere, we mentioned Butch Davis opting to just leave and trash FIU's overall commitment to football. That's a one in nine team, by the way. (laughs) So you could keep an eye on that effort. It would be interesting to see how they turn up. You mentioned that alley-oop thing. And I was thinking, what, did you just see how Illinois Marquette ended? And then I'm thinking, wait a second. How did that? Did that game end? Because I wasn't paying attention. And it looks like we didn't score any points for the last three minutes and lost. Despite a 21 rebound advantage. Uh, Thanks a lot, NCAA. Kofi Coburn broke a rule about two weeks before it became not a rule anymore. Oh, well. Um, So it's going to be interesting to see if Wake Forest can go to Clemson and uh, put them down. (laughs) That's true. It is is kind of an unstoppable force, immovable object thing. Clemson's defense is still pretty darn good. Um, And likewise, you have the inverse thing when Clemson has the ball is a very easily stoppable offense going to be able to score against a powerless defense. So uh, I mean, said NC state also had was the only other program in the ACC that plays defense and wake forest hung 45 on them. Yeah. So I, it, it'll be interesting. It's basically like two fiddler crabs locked in combat where their strong claws are fighting and their weak claws are fighting. And it might actually come down to who has the advantage with the weak claw. <laughs> Oh, Arkansas is ranked just in time to play Alabama. Yeah, funny how that works. I just it, could, could the system be more transparently set up to to maintain the dominance of a certain handful of teams? I I just don't think it could be. But I mean, can we please get Auburn out of the rankings now? I know it'll just result in Mississippi State taking their place because they won head to head, and then that inflates the value of a past win Alabama has. Uh, but man, at least Mississippi State's kind of fun to watch. Speaking of. Um, we had Ole Miss beat Texas A&M last week, and now I kind of hope Michigan State gets to play them in like the Peach Bowl or the Fiesta oh, Bowl or boy. something, because that game would be a race to 70. Uh, the, uh, Corral would, would throw for 1,000 yards. I honestly believe that. Um, that being said, the last game that you might want to keep an eye on that I identified, Cincinnati goes to SMU in what is really their last serious challenge to an undefeated season. I mean, that's not to say they couldn't lose depending on what the AAC championship game looks like. I have no idea how they format that. Uh, but SMU is a, is a live wire um, with uh, what's his nuts quarterback help. You know it. Oh my God. Uh, Desmond Tanner Ritter Mordecai. or no Tanner Mordecai. Tanner yeah. Mordecai. Um, Tanner Mordecai. So with a four, former sooner Mordecai. Yeah. With an Oklahoma transfer at the helm, they have an offense capable of scoring, even on a good defense like Cincinnati's maybe keep an eye on that. Anything else that caught your eye thump? Oh, the wrong Louisiana is going to play LSU this week because I really think the Rage and Cajuns would have had a shot. Yeah. Uh, but hey, look, that zombie LSU 
the results have been all over the place. They lost a couple games that were kind of amusing after firing Odron, and then they played Alabama tight. So they're a little bit of a random number generator. And Kansas at TCU, again, as I mentioned, uh, tickets as low as $3. That's kind of the unfortunate thing of being in a big city like TCU is that there's a lot better things to do. Rather watch a, a team that just fired their head coach play Kansas. Not everybody's a sicko like us. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Nobody's a sicko like us. No. <laughs> no. Your source for Big Ten Talk. It's off tackle. Empire!